You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And Jesus, we bow before you and we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I cannot think of a time where that song and those words are more precious more true, more needed in our lives, in your church, locally and globally. And God, I pray that indeed that this saving love of Christ would be the measure of our lives. That we would be living our lives in commitment, in total abandonment to you. And God, you are allowing this squeezing, this Um, worldwide event to happen, to call your people to pray and to seek your face and to mobilize as the church of Jesus Christ, to show your love and to shout from any opportunity that we have the truth of who you are and what you have done in us and what you desire to keep doing through us. And so God, I pray that you would work this morning through your word to your people, and that each one of us would be transformed in a greater way to a new degree of glory and understanding in our walk with you and those who do not know you today, that this would be the day of salvation. This is the only day that any of us are promised. We have no promise into tomorrow or the next day or even later on this evening. God, we have no control over that. And would today be that day where we commit and recommit ourselves to you. So do a good work through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to welcome you this morning, and as the band exits the stage, just want to thank them once again, as well as all those who are working behind the scenes to, in the technical room to bring this service to us here this morning. You can take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. John 12 is where we are going to be as we continue on in this series called Gloriously Generous, as we see the generosity of our God. And, uh, and, and we are going through this series that is leading us up to the Easter weekend, and we have been looking at God's glorious generosity to us as his children. And we are so blessed in how he has demonstrated that generosity to us. And, and uh, over the last four weeks, we've been looking at this generosity of our God. And over the last number of weeks, we looked at the love of God. We looked at his presence in the storms of life that we're facing, as well as um, the peace that he offers to us as his children. And then last week, we, we saw the serving heart of God. And today, we will see a gloriously generous God in triumphs and in tears. Now, today is traditionally a day known as Palm Sunday, and, and, and this is such a great story. And kids, I trust that as you are watching and as you're with your families that, that you're participating in this and drawing pictures of our story. You can, it's such a visual picture as, as Grandma Marla read to us earlier, but now even as we get once again into this story, I trust that you're taking, uh, taking and drawing some pictures and later on we'll be posting them for us all to see. This is such a great 
story. It is a true story filled with so much significance and meaning. And, and this morning, as we all now dig into the Word of God, it is my prayer that we would see stunning and amazing truths from the Word of God. And that we would all be encouraged through the word, that we would heed the warnings that we are given from God's word this morning. We would all examine our lives and make the necessary changes when it comes to how we are thinking and how we are living our lives. And that ultimately at the end of our time together, as the band will lead us in worship a little later on, that we would worship and give thanks to God for his indescribable gift as we give thanks to God for the generosity of sending his son to this earth. And so we're going to read in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. And you can follow along in your Bibles as I read. And it says, the next day, the large crowd had come to the, to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming. And so they took branches off of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it, was, as it had been written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, John's account that we just read here this morning is a launching pad for us this morning. We're going to glean from the other gospel accounts. This story is in all four gospel accounts. We see it in Matthew 21, we see it in Mark 11, in Luke chapter 19, and of course here in John 12. It's kind of like going from black and white to color to HD to now 4K when you get all four of them mashed together. And we're going to draw these truths that we're going to look at here today from all four of these gospels. And, and we, the beautiful thing we see about the word of God and we see about these accounts, they don't contradict. In, 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 in fact, they complement one another. And so in this story, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem with great fanfare. The crowds are cheering. Thousands and thousands of people, they're crying out and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. This was Jesus' big coronation. Now, coronations for monarchs are usually a big deal. And this was a big deal. And and, and, and just to give some different perspective to it, even in our world today, coronations can be a big deal. Charlotte and I, uh, over the last few months, we were quite intrigued as we watched the historical drama called The Crown, and it's a story about Queen Elizabeth II. It's, it's quite captivating. We were quite I- impressed with, with the quality, but also what it did was really cause us to kind of delve into some of the British and Commonwealth history, as, as, as a lot of it we didn't know, and, and we found ourselves googling things as we were watching the show just to see like wow what happened there and just wanting to get more details and and found it very fascinating now one thing about queen elizabeth's coronation ceremonies in the 1950 it was a ceremony filled with so much pomp and circumstance it took 14 months to prepare for it she was invested with robes and regala she was anointed in the ceremony with a holy oil she swore an oath and was crowned queen 
queen of the United Kingdom as well as of the Commonwealth nations. Now, her, her crown alone, I mean, it was amazing. Her, her crown, as you can see on the picture, um, consisted of, now get this, 23,578 precious and semi-precious stones worth millions of dollars. That baby weighed about, um, I believe it was five pounds, and that was five pounds on her head. Now, I know that some of you ladies are right now looking at your ring and and just kind of wondering, hmm, um, wonder what one of those diamonds might look like on my finger. In fact, in in my study this week, I, I ended up reading that the crown jewel collection of the queen is estimated at 3.5 billion euros, which is like 100 billion, no, about six or seven billion in in Canadian dollars. Now, Jesus, in comparison, did not have a fanfare like this. In in fact, um, when you take a look at the queen and and you see what, what she experienced and when you look at what Jesus experienced days just following the triumphal entry you see that the only crown that Jesus would wear would be a crown of thorns. His robe would be bloodied, would be ripped off of him, torn apart, and gambled for as he laid naked and humiliated on the cross. Yet Jesus' life and his coronation here on these days was so amazing. His coronation and the days that followed were difficult, heart-wrenching, and yet eternally significant and so important for all of humanity. From this story today, we're going to see at least three snapshots. There's many more that we could take from here. We're going to focus in on three. And, and, and we're going to see that they are filled with such significance and meaning and importance. And the first snapshot that we see here this morning, I encourage you to write this down, and there's going to be some, some, some other scriptures that I'll encourage you to write down and to read this week. The first one, first snapshot is the donkey. Bible prophecy fulfilled. And, and this is so important that, that we see this. This event, this day, was the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry up until this point. Having done his mighty works, Jesus had fed the masses of people, tens of thousands of people at a time. He calmed the storms. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. In fact, it was the raising of Lazarus just in the chapter previous, in John chapter 12, just prior to this, that just put Jesus over the top when it came to popularity. Lazarus, you see, had been dead for like four days And I love how the King James Version puts it. It is just so good how it puts it. And and, and it it just describes it so well. When Jesus was there at the tomb of Lazarus and he gave the order for the stone to be rolled away, Lazarus' sister Martha said the words that sisters have been saying ever since about their brothers, Lord, he stinketh. Yeah, when you preach live stream, there's no laughter. I think we should maybe look at getting a laugh track or something like that, because I think that was actually a pretty good joke, and, and a lot of you sisters now may be saying that about your brothers. Lord, he stinketh, and, and, and so Martha said that, and, and the news of this miracle just spread to, to the masses of people, and they were so excited, and they were ready to make him king. So here we have Jesus on a donkey. And you you think, okay, why a donkey? Why is he riding this young donkey, one that had never been written, had never been ridden before? 
Why not on a white horse? Why not on a powerful stallion? Now, for a king to ride on a donkey was not unusual at all. Kings would ride on a donkey as a symbol of peace. In fact, David and Solomon were, at at one point in their reigns, rode on donkeys into Jerusalem. Now, a horse was a symbol of war. A donkey was a symbol of peace. And here, as Jesus is riding on the donkey, he is signifying that he is the Prince of Peace. And he rides into Jerusalem. And what he is doing in this is he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, like we see in Zechariah chapter 9. And and on the screen now, you should be seeing a a, a bunch of different uh, verses and encourage you to write those down and look them up. We're going to look at Zechariah 9 in a moment. But here we see some significant messianic prophecies about Jesus. And and some of these here are in regards to his crucifixion as well. We're not going to look at those today. That will be for later on, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, as as we see a further continuance of these prophecies, but some good reading for you. And I encourage you to, to look these passages of Scripture up in this coming week. But Zechariah is the one we're going to focus on for a few moments here. Zechariah, the prophet, prophet who, who wrote the last book of the Old Testament some 500 years before these events took place. And in chapter 9, verse 9, it talks about the Messiah, talks about him riding on a donkey. Look, listen to what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That word, O daughter of Zion, is an expression referring to the Jewish people. Shout aloud, it goes on to say, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was promised, it was prophesied that Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem, into the holy city on a donkey. Or take Psalm 118, another one which was traditionally sung during these Passover celebration by God's people as they awaited the Messiah. In verse 25, it says of Psalm, in Psalm 118, it says, save us, which is also translated Hosanna. So save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What this crowd is now shouting in Jerusalem on this day is what had been promised, and now they are, we are seeing biblical prophecy fulfilled. It had been written hundreds, hundreds of years before this, but now it was happening. There's one more that I want to show you, and, and, and it's pretty cool, and it's, it, it, we're going to do a quick flyover because we could spend like a whole morning on this. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, and, and as I said, we're, we're just going to do a quick flyover on this one. We touched on this in, in the Daniel series we did a number of years ago, and we went into a greater depth on this. Now, one of the things, just to give some perspective and understanding, there's a number of times in Jesus' ministry on earth where people wanted to hurry up and make Jesus king. And Jesus would just silence them. Sometimes he would just walk away, but other times he would just silence them and say, my time has not yet come. You see, the day of his coronation of the triumphal entry was sovereignly arranged by God. It was sovereignly arranged by God before the creation of the world. And it was promised and prophesied hundreds of years before it even happened. And it was, were even given in the book of Daniel the exact date that Jesus, Messiah, would come riding into Jerusalem. 
the exact date, as you will see. Now, write this down. This is important. After Daniel 9, verse 9, as we'll, we'll continue to see, write down this number, 173,880. Also, write down April 6th, 32 AD. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel came to Daniel and he gave a message to Daniel. And he told Daniel that the interval between the command, when the command is given, because the Israelites were exiled in Babylon at this time, when the commandment is given for the Israelites to be able to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, the walls, the temple, until that time when the command is given and to the day that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come riding into Jerusalem would be 69 sevens, as you can see in Daniel chapter 9, which is basically 483 years based on a Jewish calendar of 360 days. The Jewish calendar then consisted of 360 days. So you take 483 and you multiply that by 360 days, and you get 173,880 days. And so Gabriel told Daniel that God's people could set their calendars, set a reminder, set it, and it will happen that 173,880 days after the order is given to the Jews that they can go back and start rebuilding Jerusalem, 173,880 days, Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem. It would be a number of years later, and we read in Nehemiah chapter 2 that King Artaxerxes gave that such decree. He made that on March the 14th, 445 AD. He gave the decree to allow the Jews to go back and start rebuilding. So set the date, 173,880 days later, takes us to April the 6th, 32 AD. That was the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Pretty amazing. It sets Jesus apart. It, it once again just clarifies and confirms that Jesus and only Jesus is the Messiah. Why did God give us prophecies like this? Over 300 Old Testament prophecies about Christ's first coming to earth, about his coming to earth, his life, his ministry, as well as his death, his burial, his resurrection, over 300 in the, in the Old Testament. Why would he do this? Was, was God just doing it to kind of show off? No, it's because, now listen to this, God does this because he does not want a single one of us, a single person listening or watching today doesn't want any one of us to fail to see and to understand and to receive the understanding and the beautiful, beautiful belief and promise that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the forgiver of sins, our only hope in life, our only hope for eternity in heaven. He also did this to show us that we can trust the word of God, the reliability of God's word. You see, you have to understand, biblical Christianity, if you're a skeptic today, if you're sitting on the fence, biblical Christianity isn't just to check your brains at the door and have a blind leap of faith and trust Jesus. That's not what it's about. No, biblical Christianity is a reasonable faith filled with historical and scientific fact that you can build your life, build your eternity upon. 
Even today, in what we are seeing in our world, with the COVID-19 virus, it fits into God's prophetic plan. Folks, this is God's megaphone to our world. How else can he get the worldwide attention of people? What a wake-up call this is. And we're going to see some of those prophetic news items and some of the prophetic things that we can see from the Word of God a little bit later on. And so the first snapshot that we see here in the story of the triumphal entry is the donkey. We see prophecies fulfilled. The second snapshot that we see is the crowd. The crowd is, is where we see hearts that are being exposed. Now, you have to understand that during this Feast of Passover, Jerusalem's population normally was about 30,000 people, but on the Feast of Passover, it would swell to, some would say, some historians would say, up to 2 million people. I mean, the place was jam-packed with people. And on this day, the crowd would have been electric. Now, I've been a part of some pretty large crowds in, in, in my lifetime, some pretty loud crowds that uh, included some of them um, of me wearing um, some kind of important gear. That's right. Uh, you guessed it. In- involved wearing this nice green jersey and uh, another part, I'll just put that up there right now, which uh, involves uh, putting on the old rider gloves and, um, and, and most importantly and beautifully and strangely and weirdly, for, for years I've been to at least four CFL stadiums wearing this baby. Pretty sharp, isn't it? And those nice brown locks that, that I have in the back and these allow you to clap your hands pretty good and, and, and it's pretty awesome. And I've been in crowds of 30, 40, 50,000 people cheering and screaming and celebrating. And when you're in a crowd like that, it's pretty crazy. I've also been a part of some NHL playoff games, about 18, 19,000 people jammed in an enclosed facility. Just like, it's like they're on steroids for cheering and, 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 and screaming and yelling. You walk out horse, so exciting. I've also been a part of some, some, some concerts with I think probably around 10, 15,000 people worshiping Jesus. That's a lot better than a sporting event and being all amped up in a crowd like that. I guess I don't need the, this anymore, but um, um, thanks, my helper. I, I trust that you washed your hands before you threw this to me, and uh, so thank you very much, and uh, oh, I, I hope you're okay. Okay, wonderful. Anyway, so, so the crowd, if you've ever been in a large group of people and, and who have been yelling and amped up and excited, it can be a pretty exciting place to be. For Jesus, this would have been, and for the crowd that had been gathered, the thousands of people, it would have been incredible. You see, the popularity of Jesus was at an all-time high. As Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, as it says in verse 13 of John 12, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, they're so excited. The crowd was yelling, save us now, become our king. Life will be great with Jesus. And maybe that's where even maybe they coined the phrase, maybe make Israel great again. Messiah has come at last. You have the miracles. You have the teaching. You have the credentials. Now you have him raising Lazarus from the dead. He's the one that's going to deliver us from Roman rule. The crowd was so excited. They were throwing their cloaks off as Jesus came riding by on that donkey. They waved palm branches and laid them down on the road as, as he came by. Now, palm branches 
are associated in the Old Testament with celebration. And, and they are with a celebration symbolizing beauty and strength and hope and joy and even everlasting life because they're always green. The worshiping and the celebrating of the, cloud, of the crowd included the disciples. And together, the crowd, the disciples, they were cheering, they were amped up because they believed Jesus would make their lives so much better. Now, Jesus, on many occasions, even prior to this, told his disciples what would happen to him when he would go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer, that he would die at the hands of the religious leaders, but they didn't listen. In fact, they even denied it. He said, no, this can't happen. And for some, it just didn't seem to register. You see, they were following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. They had great passion. That crowd had great enthusiasm. But they were following and cheering and worshiping Jesus wrongly. You see, they wanted Jesus to make their lives better here and now. Free them from slavery, from from the Roman rule here and now. They didn't understand or pay enough attention and listen to Jesus that he was what he was offering them wasn't for the here and the now so much as the forever and always. To free them from the ultimate slavery, the slavery of sin and death. You know, today we can be so much like that crowd, I believe. Perhaps even like Jesus' own disciples. We can follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. So oftentimes we can easily take and reduce or make Jesus into what we want out of him and from him or what we think we need from him. And so when we're sick, we pray for his healing touch. When we're broke, we cry out to him for money. When we're jobless, we hope he can get us one. When we're lazy as students or in assignments, we hope that somehow he'll help us pass the test. And if you gamble, which I hope you don't, you buy lottery tickets or choose your own numbers or whatever you might do on that, you pray and say, oh, if I win this, oh, help me to win Jesus, because if I do, I'll, I'll give a really good portion of it to the church and to different charities. Oh, I'll be generous, so help me to win, please. So oftentimes, some of those could be a little extreme, and yet that can be very real in how we treat Jesus. So oftentimes, we can have selective hearing, listening, and obedience when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to his word. You see, there are certain things that, that, that we don't necessarily like to hear, just like the disciples didn't like to hear about what would be happening in Jerusalem. We can have selective hearing as well. When Jesus told his disciples, he tells us as his followers that in order to find our life, in order to find real life, we must lose it. That in order to be a disciple, we must be willing to surrender all things to him. Jesus' words were also that he required that those who would follow him must daily take up their cross and follow him. That following him won't be easy. He spoke of things about loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Or last week we looked at how Jesus called us to serve one another even in the lowliest of positions and jobs. Jesus set the example in his life and in his death, and he calls us as his children as well to forgive all, everyone who has hurt or sinned against us or betrayed us. He calls us in the name of Jesus to forgive, and yet 
We can be selective when it comes to our forgiveness, can't we? And hold grudges and hold on to bitterness. Even now, honestly, our prayers can be, oh, Jesus, help us. Oh, Jesus, save us. You see, our culture today, and this has been going on for, for many centuries, but it's, it's even so much more stronger today. Our culture today accompanied or coupled with our pride and our own arrogance has falsely taught us that we as humans can solve any problem, any problem. All you need is money, brains, or power, and you can solve any problem that we're facing. <laughs> Clearly, we cannot. We've been so humbled by a tiny little virus spreading the world. Just think how this virus has brought our world literally to a standstill in so many ways. And basically, we are left with two options as human beings. Number one, we can live in fear and hope and pray for the best and just hope we come out okay. Or number two, we can wait and trust and rest and put our faith and our confidence in God's word and in his promises. And by faith, we wait for his deliverance and his deliverance will come. God will redeem. He will deliver us either in this life or the next. That's a guarantee for the child of God. And listen, question that is so important. Where are you in the crowd? Are you in this crowd? Are you in the crowd like on Palm Sunday, cheering when life is good, but vanishing and running afraid and concerned and worried when all of a sudden things start going in a difficult or a confusing direction, just as we see later on in the events for Jesus. The crowd disappeared. The disciples ran and hid. Are you one of those crowd wavers there for a good time, not necessarily long time, or will you be one of these crowd? Will you be found in this crowd? Look at Revelation chapter 7. These verses will be on the screen. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. I trust you will be in this crowd. I trust you and I, and I trust that our families around us will be in this crowd one day. Look what it says in verse 9 of Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with what in our hands? With palm branches in our hands. Not the fickle, crowd-waving, palm-branches-waving kind of people that we see here in John 12, but that we would be the Revelation 7 crowd of people with palm branches waving in their hands and crying out, as verse 10 goes on, with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell on their faces before the throne, were worshiping God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. My hope and my prayer is that we will be the palm branch waving people of Revelation chapter 7. And so we see the crowd, hearts exposed. Where's your heart today? And the third snapshot that we see here quickly are the tears. We see the tears of Jesus that speak of love and also of judgment. 
In Luke's account, in Luke chapter 19, it says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. As the crowds were shouting, Jesus is weeping. Now, two times in the New Testament, it's recorded in God's word that we have Jesus weeping. The first time was at the tomb of Lazarus, as I've already mentioned here today in our message. Jesus entered into the pain and the sorrow of his dear friends. We have the shortest verse in the Bible there in John chapter 11 where it says, and Jesus wept. That word wept would have been tears running down his face, perhaps his lip quivering, and a great sadness as he entered into the pain and the mourning of the people there, knowing full well he's going to resurrect them, knowing that Lazarus would, would live again. And yet Jesus entered into their pain. But on Palm Sunday, when that word for for weep or wept in in Luke 19 is a sobbing, a wailing, a body-shaking kind of weeping, an uncontrollable crying that Jesus, upon that donkey, as he looked at the crowds, as he looked over Jerusalem, his heart moved with compassion for the crowds, for his own disciples. And Jesus' tears weren't just for that day, his tears would also be for the future. Because in Luke chapter 19, verse 43, Jesus says, for the days will come as he's looking upon Jerusalem, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children. Jesus saw the future, he saw the coming destruction, he saw the coming judgment that would take place because of their rejection of him. He saw the city, he saw the temple destroyed and that persecution that would take place that was gruesome, that it won't even take time to describe, gruesome in nature that took place in AD 70, a few decades after this event. And in the midst of the crowd cheering, Jesus is weeping. He's not weeping over buildings and walls and the temple that would be destroyed, but he is weeping over the many people that would reject him who would reject his offer of mercy and grace. Today, loved ones, you need to understand, Jesus sees your needs today. He knows your heart. He knows the burden that you're carrying. He sees your aches, your pains, your hurts, your fear, your loneliness, your confusion. Jesus knows the spot where you are at in your head, in your mind, in your thinking, in your family, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your finance. He knows it all. He knows exactly what you're going through. He is all-knowing, and he's a compassionate Savior. We can call out to him. Hebrews chapter 4 says, we have a high priest that will sympathize with us. Jesus lived on this earth, God in the flesh. He had feelings. He has emotions, and he has that to this day, and he knows what we are going through, and he's appealing to God the Father on our behalf even this day. And here we see Jesus, God in the flesh, weeping and pronouncing judgment. He's pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem. And as he's pronouncing judgment, there's tears flowing down his face. Tears, love, and judgment all at once. You see, when a person truly accepts the Bible as God's word and gratefully accepts the good parts, the good news, the gospel of God's grace and of his mercy and his forgiveness and the promise the surety of heaven when we die, if we accept all of that, we must also accept the parts about judgment, death, and even hell. And if anyone is watching, anyone is listening today, and you stand before Jesus, and he is forced to judge you for your sins, 
because you rejected him during your time here on this earth? I believe that as Jesus is judging you and sending you to eternal destruction away from him in hell, he won't be doing it with a happy face. There will be tears running down his face. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that Jesus, that our God does not want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And tears will be flowing as he pronounces judgment upon the lost, upon those who have rejected his gift of salvation. You see, loved ones, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus will ride again. Jesus came riding, into the don- riding on the donkey in AD 32, that beautiful day in April. But he will ride again, but it won't be on a donkey. The first time he came in humility, he came to die and to give his life as a ransom for sinners. He came on a donkey as a suffering servant. He, he, he didn't come to destroy his enemies. He came to offer his enemies salvation and offer the sinner hope and freedom that chains would be broken of sin, that we could be forgiven. This is the Jesus we must run to today. We must cling to. We must follow. We must embrace in our lives, in our thinking, in our finances, in our future, in our family, in our marriage, in every part of our lives. You see, Revelation chapter 19 tells us of the next time that the king will come. He won't be on the donkey. He will be riding that white horse ready for war coming as the conquering king. And believe me, you do not want to meet Jesus for the first time on that day. You can run and you can meet him today if you never have. If you've been running away from him as a child, as a follower of his, you need to run around, you need to pull a 180 and you need to come running back to Jesus today. Loved ones, Jesus is coming again. The birth pains are upon us and Jesus is talking about this. We must not be like the crowds and the disciples on that day that ignored his word, that ignored his teaching, living for the here and the now. Folks, God's word tells us that plagues and pestilence have been one of God's warning signs for his people throughout the centuries. And the Bible speaks in the end times of increased catastrophes all over the world. And we're seeing this happen. Famines, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilence. Earthquakes? Earthquakes? Really? Earthquakes? I, was, I just kind of had to laugh this past week when all of a sudden I heard in the news and, and people were texting and, one, and, and asking, did you feel the earthquake? Did you feel the earthquake? And I'm thinking, are you serious? We're experiencing earthquakes now too. And I, I know it happens from time to time, but just the timing of this one is pretty amazing. In B.C. in Alberta, this earthquake that was centered in Idaho. One of the families in the church, the Rhymers, sent, sent me this video. It's in West Cologne, and this was taken already after the initial uh, big-time shaking was happening. Just roll that video at this time, and, and you can just see um, just the movement that was taking place. You see, folks, we're seeing Bible prophecy happen before our eyes. I mean, you, you couldn't even just, I mean, It's amazing. We're watching a tiny virus bringing our world to a halt that's causing leaders of countries to evoke executive powers, seizing dictatorship authority with very little resistance. Yes, they're doing it to help their countries now, but they are establishing a precedence for the future. Some countries, I was reading this week, or I heard, I believe it was from Albert Moeller, are tracking the movement of people through their cell phones 
at this time trying to curb the spread of COVID-19. There are, are, are calls by some world leaders and people in the world and UN to, to look at a one-world governing body to oversee the virus and, and, and how we control and how we spread information. God's word does speak of a one-world government. Banks in some countries are no longer accepting cash because of the virus could be on there and they don't want to use it anymore. The Bible speaks of a cashless society. I could go on and on with more of these warnings and these birth pains that Christ's return is drawing near, but we need to pay attention. We must be ready. We must be bold in our witness and ready to serve. You know, folks, some of you today, you may need a word of encouragement, and I trust that you will receive that today, and you will go to the Word of God in your own study and receive that encouragement. And we have so many great promises from God's Word. One that I've been clinging to in the last few days has been Psalm 50, verse 15, where it says, call upon me on the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God says, call unto me when you're in trouble, and I will deliver you so that he would receive the glory and the praise. Yes, we need encouragement in these days, but I also believe we need to repent. Repent of our rebellion and our lukewarmness and our idolatry, how God is so far on the list. Time spent in Christian fellowship is kind of an add-on if we have time. Prayer time's optional. Do we really need to pray on our own? Do we really need to be involved in corporate prayer, corporate worship? Yes, we do, and this is a wake-up call because a time is coming when this world will end and we will be held to account. And just encourage you where you're at even right now, if you would, if everyone would just bow their heads. Bow their heads and just kind of spend some time here and just some soul search. And a question for you all to consider is, have you received, have you put your faith, your trust, your hope in the life and the future of the one who came riding on a donkey almost 2,000 years ago, who came as the sinless son of God, the one who came to bear our sins and satisfy God's wrath and judgment. Have you put your faith, your trust, your hope, are you clinging to Jesus today? Not just conquering sin, he conquered death for all who would believe and put their trust in him. But then he also ascended into heaven, leaving the gates wide open, wide open for all who believe and follow him to one day join him and live with him and reign with him. Have you trusted him today? Have you received his amazing grace? You can do that today by calling out to Jesus to be your Lord, to be your Savior, confessing your sin, turning from your ways, turning from sin, repenting, the Bible calls that, repentance, and call out to him to be your Savior and Lord. I pray that no one who is listening or watching today would reject this offer of salvation, his grace and his forgiveness. It's life-changing. And today, if you are listening or watching and you have received God's amazing grace, are you building your hope and your future on the solid rock? Are you building it on Jesus or are you building it still on yourself, on your own finances, on your own, I'm gonna muscle through this? 
Don't build it on the things of this world. It's all sand. We're seeing very quickly it can and it will be washed away. How we need to live in light of Christ's return.